Can't make it to every NHL arena? Now here's the long and the short of it. We've got you covered with our own rink rat. I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. Sirius XM's Rob Brinder brings you Rinkside on Lightning Power Play. All right, get out on the ice. Let me see what you can do. Welcome, everybody, to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. The Ottawa Senators have been in the middle of a major rebuild for the last couple of years, but they appear to be compiling several interesting pieces as they try to set a foundation for success that might not be that far away. It's an organization that has come under tremendous scrutiny from their fan base the last few years, especially when ownership decided to go headfirst into this rebuild, culminating with the trade of Norris Trophy winning defenseman Eric Carlson to San Jose, a very popular player in that community. It's also an organization that has been hoping to get a new arena built much closer to their city center to avoid having their fans have to travel such a great distance to go see home games. Needless to say, in the harsh winters, it would be great for everybody to have a state-of-the-art facility to go to much closer to home instead of dealing with driving in the snow. All of that said, the aforementioned stockpiling of young talent is starting to pay off with several players who are worth embracing, like Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, J.G. Pajot, and Anthony Duclair, who suddenly found his game and is having a tremendous season. The Sens appear to be heading in the right direction. Joining us to go deeper into everything happening in Ottawa is Senators radio analyst Gord Wilson. Gord, how are you? Rob, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure and happy holidays to you. So as I just mentioned, a lot of players who they've stockpiled now, young, talented offensive pieces for the roster. And you look at some of them in particular, and J.G. Pajot and Anthony Duclair, I want to get into what they've done specifically with their games in a second. But how much concern is there? I got to ask you a negative one off the top, that the fan base is starting to embrace these guys. They're having these great years. And then there's talk of the trade deadline coming and maybe we flip them for more draft picks and and more young talent well you know what the word here in the nation's capital is that uh, the the fans are certainly liking how this team is playing they're liking the direction this team has taken in terms of its youth in terms of uh, how it's playing hockey right now under the guidance of new head coach dj smith uh, there just seems to be a work ethic that uh, has been uh, missing, I think, a little bit of a work ethic that's been missing over the last couple of seasons. It's a it's a meat and potatoes kind of lineup, but they're getting the most, or DJ is getting the most out of everybody involved, including the aforementioned J.G. Pajot and certainly Anthony Duclair, who uh, has scored in three straight games, now has 21 on the year, and that's a career high for him. He's 24 years old, and he's played for five different teams in the NHL. He's a restricted, excuse me, he's a restricted free agent uh, in the offseason, and so the Senators have options with him, whether they want to sign him long-term, whether they can get, you know, a three-year deal with him, whether they can turn him into another asset at the trade deadline remains to be seen. But I think from a fan's perspective, they certainly like what Anthony is bringing to the table. He's indicated that he loves Ottawa, and obviously when you're enjoying the success that he's had in this, his fifth organization, why wouldn't he like it? Uh, My guess is they'll want to get him under contract long-term. You mentioned J.G. Pajot, who's got 16 goals, and what is he? He's fourth in the NHL and plus-minus right now at plus 19. His career high in goals is is 19, so he's probably going to surpass that. But at the same time, he's 27. He's making three, 3.1, I think, is what he's making this year. He's an unrestricted free agent at season's end. He's a hometown product. In other words, he's from this area. 
Um, he's spent the last seven years uh, in this organization, and I think, the, and he's a fan favorite on and off the ice. Uh, I think it would behoove the organization to get him under contract as well. But again, uh, it's all part of a rebuild, and you look at every option, whether you trade him at the trade deadline and get another asset. Um, uh, you know that that's part of the equation, I guess. Right now, as it sits, Rob, the Senators have 26 draft picks over the next three years, 26 out of a possible 27, and they hold some pretty good cards as far as uh, five picks in the first two rounds this year, including a pick from the San Jose Sharks, who are now lower than them in the standings, uh, in the overall standings. So if the draft were to be held today, the Senators, I think, would be picking third and sixth if there was no lottery and um, uh, the cards fell where they may. But they're in good shape. Uh, prospect-wise, and um, they got lots of decisions to make for sure moving forward. Yeah, and if there was ever a year to stockpile draft picks, this appears to be the one coming up. They're saying it's one of the deepest drafts that we've had in many, many years, and uh, obviously they, they do need to figure out the equation there. I want to get into Declare specifically uh, and break down kind of what's going on with him, because obviously, Gord, we're looking at a guy who, as you said, has changed organizations so much. He's never found stability, never found a home, and then he has to deal with John Tortorella last year in Columbus, and, and you saw all the yeah. rant like everyone else did around the NHL where Torts in public in front of the media with all the cameras on him basically said uh, you know what he flat out said this guy doesn't know how to play he doesn't know how to play the mm-hmm. game uh, he wondered yep. how how he's even on a roster uh, questioning the fact that obviously he's been around the league so much clearly he doesn't know what he's doing I think that obviously had to strike a chord it would with anybody and I, I think most guys it doesn't matter who you are what level you're playing you can take that two ways you can say you know what I do stink I don't belong in this I'm going to quit and I'm going to walk out or you can do what Duclair has now done and completely turned his career around and become a tremendous goal scoring threat what is it about his personality and maybe with his game that you're seeing on the ice, the specific things that he's doing with his game that's allowed him to become this player compared to the guy who we saw towards talking about last year? Well, confidence leads to obviously an awful lot of success. If you have it, it's a difficult thing to get back. If you've lost it, it's, it's an easy thing to maintain. If you have the skills and the mental wherewithal to be able to hold on to it. And I think that's, that's where Anthony is right now in his NHL career. He's in a real good spot in terms of having a confidence in his ability. We have to remember, this is a guy who had 99 points in the Quebec League, uh, what, five years ago, you know, with the Quebec Ramparts. He has a pure, given, God's given talent of being able to uh, have skill at the NHL level, to play at the NHL level with the skill that he has and produce. Uh, but uh, I think in the years past, there has been a lack of confidence. And, and and I'll make this point as well here. And I don't normally, you know, sort of equate work ethic to uh, a player's um, performance because I, I, I find it hard to, be, uh, to, to think that in today's day and age, uh, guys aren't working hard enough to stay in the NHL. I mean, it's just plain and simple. You have to work to be able to maintain your presence in this league. It is... As an old coach used to say, and Paul McLean used to say, it's an everyday league. You have to prove yourself every day. And you can be a guy who's got 400 games under your belt. You can be a guy who's got 1,400 games under your belt. You have to prove yourself every day. And so I think Anthony Duclair sort of uh, uh, had a revelation at some point where he said, you know what, i got to work every day. His practice habits, his work ethic in practice equates to what he's doing or, sorry, has, has uh, led to what he's doing uh, on game day ice. Uh, 
Um, he just works extremely hard. His teammates notice it. His teammates comment on it. And it's and obviously the coaching staff has a real solid trust uh, in Anthony. I think primarily because of his work ethic. He's he's doing uh, that has been asked of him. And under DJ Smith's system, like everybody else's system, really, you have to play defense first. You have to uh, have the want and the desire to be able to take care of the puck in your own end first, and that'll lead to offense. Declare his body into that, and um, you know it takes some guys a little longer sometimes uh, to uh, to come to that realization. Uh, that to be an everyday NHL player, you're going to have to do things at both ends of the ice. Uh, certainly for the more gifted offensive guys, where offense is fun. Let's be honest here; it's 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 the fun aspect of the game. And if you've been a goal scorer or point producer all your life, uh, that's what you want to do at the NHL level as well. But uh, I think um, uh, it's been proven that you have to <laughs> to stay in the league. You have to be able to play at both ends of the ice. Yeah, and those are the guys I think the fan base embraces the most, no matter what city you're in, no matter what sport you're talking about. Baseball, like you said, or football, you see guys sometimes that just take a little while to come around and get their full game going. But when they do, those are the players that the fans, no matter what city you're in, love to watch play the most. And uh, and obviously Duclair is doing that, and he has become a really a tremendous story and a lot of fun to watch. We're talking to Gord Wilson, Senators radio analyst, about what's going on up in Ottawa. It is a a team Gord that also has some very high-end young talent, guys that were expected to be as good as they've been so far. And I want to ask you about Brady Kachuk first, because mm. about the Kachuk family, we know about the way Matthew plays in Calgary. You know, we know the way their dad played. It's a family that brings energy on the ice. They bring a passion. They bring a physicality to their game. How badly did this organization in Ottawa need a Brady Kachuk on the team? Uh, uh, desperate. Yeah, no question about it. He has become a fan favorite, uh, head and shoulders above, uh, I would think probably, uh, 90% of the, of his teammates. He's just a fun guy to be around. He's extremely humble. His personality is such that the, I mean, he's a very mature young man at 20 years of age. You can tell that there is a pedigree from Brady Kachuk in terms of what his brother has done and certainly what his father has done. Senators recently went on, it was last weekend, actually Tampa and Florida, where they had a father-son trip. Well, Brady was has been the only player now in franchise history to bring his grandfather on the, on the trip with him. Uh, John Kachuk, the, whose nickname, oddly enough, Rob, is Chuck. Okay, <laughs> So there's Walt Kachuk, Brady's dad, uh, and Brady's known as Chucky. Um, I think Matt Kachuk is known as Chuck E. Cheese in Calgary. There's there, there's the father, Walt Kachuk, and now the grandfather, Chuck Kachuk. And I, we when we interviewed Brady about this, and he said, oh, my grandfather Chuck is coming on the trip, I stopped him and said, hold on here now. Your grandfather's name is Chuck? He started to giggle. He goes, no, it's John. Uh, but John came on the trip with Brady, and he's the only grandfather to actually come on a father-son trip. Walt or Keith, his dad was tied up with other things, so he couldn't make the trip. But anyway, I mean, that's the kind of guy he is, and that's the kind of family um, uh, that the Kachucks are. Uh, it's it's all for one, one for all. And I think if you've heard any stories about Keith Kachuk and his illustrious career in the NHL, everybody will tell you he treated everybody the same, and he thought, you know, you ask any trainer who's been a part of a team that Keith Kachuk was on, and he'll tell you the same thing. Just the most generous, caring, and thoughtful person 
uh, on the team. Well, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree because Brady uh, is uh, cut from the same cloth. And uh, statistics don't lie. He's third in the NHL in hits. He's 20 years old, second year in the league. He's third in the NHL in hits with 143. He's sixth in shots at 138. He's got a dozen goals right now. And I would hazard to guess that of those 12 goals, Rob, you could count. Uh, I would think maybe uh, there's been a distance of a grand total of 15 feet uh, if you added up all the goals. He scores from one spot and one spot only, and that's about a foot away from the blue paint. Um, We joke on our broadcasts about him uh, playing teams that uh, he's facing a goaltender for the first time, and the first time he goes down the ice, he's going to park himself in front of the blue paint and introduce himself and say, hi, my name is Brady, uh, to the opposition goaltender. Um, he's just that kind of player. And uh, to a get, long roundabout way to get around to your question, he was much needed, no yeah, question. He's got the no-fear attitude of a Hanson brother. He's got the skill in front, the hands. He's, he, you know, I look at him, Gordon, I, I think Tom Wilson. Not the same game as Tom Wilson necessarily, but he'll throw the body around like Tom will. And the idea that you have a guy who's going to be no fear all the time, will get in front of the net, do the little things, and has skill, that to me is why I, I compare him almost to Tom Wilson in that regard. And every team wish they had a guy just like both of them, I think. Yeah, no question about it. And we'll stick up for his teammates in a heartbeat. And last year, in his first year, he got uh, in two fights with members of the Red Wings. Uh, Justin Abdelkader had uh, hit Mark uh, Stone from behind, and it was Brady who came in. And um, at the time, Brady was living with Mark. Mark had taken him under his wing. And uh, when asked about the fight, Brady said, well, I'm just trying to pay my rent. Uh, simple as that. And the second fight that he got into was with Jonathan Erickson of the Red Wings, and his dad happened to be in the stands for that. And uh, we asked Brady about that fight, and he said, well, you should ask my dad. He said I finished third in that fight. So, uh, <laughs> But but then he responded by saying, but at least I did medal. So he's, he's self-deprecating like all good hockey players are. And, uh, yeah, he's been for the last two years a real, real breath of fresh air. Fun, fun young man to be around. Absolutely. The voice you're hearing is Gord Wilson, Senators Radio Analyst. Let's go to the blue line and talk about Thomas Shabbat next. Uh, a young defenseman uh-huh. now in his fourth season. First round pick in 2015. 14 goals, 55 points last season. Career highs in both. Not putting the puck in the net as much this year. Has three goals as we record this interview. But obviously a guy with tremendous upside. What, what kind of ceiling do you think he has? Where's his game right now? Uh, sky's the limit for Thomas Shabbat. He leads the NHL in time on ice uh, at the time of this interview, 25 minutes and 59 seconds. He was uh, 15 seconds away from setting um, an NHL record for most time on ice. Where was it? In Tampa when he had 37 minutes and 50 seconds uh, in the 4-3 overtime loss. This guy is a horse. Um, he wasn't made available to the media after the game in Tampa Bay. Uh, and my question was, are you working on his lungs? Uh, because that's how much time he spent on the ice. Um, and he's not slowing down. I think he's had three straight games of 30-plus minutes. Senators are hit hard by injury on the blue line right now. Uh, so they're leaning heavily on Thomas Shabbat. Um, and uh, this is this this guy's a world-class player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. His numbers are down offensively. doesn't have a power play goal yet this year, but the power play is starting to kind of come around um, and and he's the main quarterback on it 
Um, we'll have to wait and see what the numbers are when all is said and done, but he's had a real good, strong focus to team defense as well, which is what the coaching staff has been stressing. They have him under contract now long-term. He was uh, one of the, uh, well, he was extremely, uh, it was extremely productive for the Senators to get him uh, signed long-term. He's in the final year of his entry-level deal. And um, uh, uh, what, September 19th, I think it was announced that he signed the eight-year $64 million contract. Uh, The Senators are looking at that as uh, thinking that is going to be a real bargain uh, when all is said and done, and uh, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, absolutely. He is a tremendous talent. I want to ask you about DJ Smith next because you brought him up earlier, and I I think I probably should have gone there at the very beginning because of what he's really been able to cultivate so far with this team in just his first year. Was an assistant for a long time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why do you think they chose DJ, and what is it about his system that's working so well with this team? Well, youth movement is uh, is a big reason why they chose D.J. Smith. And, you know, it's interesting, Rob, because when there were candidates being bandied about here in the Ottawa media when uh, they were looking for a new head coach, a lot of us thought that Jacques Martin, a return presence of Jacques Martin, might be just what the doctor ordered, myself included. I honestly thought, you know what, if this is a team that needs to improve defensively, and it certainly did, uh, at the end of last year, at the end of the last four or five years, let's be honest here, this team has not been good defensively for a long time. They needed to clean up their act defensively, and who better than a guy who has a real strong pedigree and history of playing good, sound defensive hockey. I thought Jacques Martin would be a perfect candidate, and I think as it turns out, he was probably uh, next in line uh, to become the head coach. But DJ Smith interviewed and the background that DJ has with young players um, is second to none here. He had uh, success with Oshawa in the Ontario Hockey League and winning a Memorial Cup. Um, he's had success in Windsor. He's had a ton of success with young players. And at 42 years of age, heck, he's only uh, four years older than Ron Hainsey and, and, and Craig Anderson, for heaven's sake. So um, uh, he, he's not that far removed from you know being in a locker room as a player. Uh, the fact that uh, he has a uh, dynamic personality, he's, uh, I, I, I'll use the word loud, but I know some people will think the connotation is kind of negative, but it's not. It's, he's, he's got a, just a, a strong personality uh, and a fun one, and the players can relate. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the expression, players will go through the wall for this guy, but that's the case. This is really the case. Uh, for DJ Smith. Um, he has everybody believing in what he's preaching. Uh, he makes everybody feel like their their role is important on the team, and that's huge. It's, uh, it goes a long way from getting the most out of everybody, from the first liners to the fourth liners. And whenever I hear about a guy who's my age, who's a head coach somewhere, I think, why didn't I take <laughs> that path? I love what I do, but come on. I could have been the head coach of the Ottawa Senators right now. Oh, well, it didn't work yeah, out that you. way. Uh, I'm th- I was just about to say, I think I've got kids older than he is, but no, I don't. I don't. I'm not that old. So. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, he keeps things loose and light, and I interview him every day on game day, and uh, it's just a ton of fun. Uh, it's, it, it really is a ton of fun. Um, Pierre Dorian made the right choice in hiring DJ Smith uh, as their next head coach. Yeah, you love the energy that those young coaches bring. Sometimes that's a, a yeah. nice energy to have in the room. One last one for you, Gordon. We've been talking to Gordon Wilson, Senators radio analyst. What's the situation with the arena? Like I brought up at the top, I know everybody has been looking for one. They've, I'm sure, been trying now for several years to get something closer to the center of the city. What's the news on the arena? None. 
<laughs> None. Oh, <laughs> no. Short answer, Rob. Yeah, no, there's no news. It's, I mean, it's in limbo. And, uh, uh, you know, until there's news, there won't be any news. I hate to be big and everything, but uh, there's been zero talk about the potential of a new arena here for, well, since the start of the season. Um, uh, you know, the, there, there's land available. Um, and uh, the it's a little too complicated to sort of get into detail, but the land that is available is going to start being developed, I think, probably within the next six months to a year. Uh, and as part of the development of this available land, they are going to leave space available for the potential of a new rink. But uh, I think we're still talking seven to a dozen years away from uh, getting anything shovels in the ground and a building put up. Oh, wow. Long, long time. Well, Calgary got one, so you never know. You know, their people probably said the same thing. Never going to happen, but uh, it eventually did. So I guess uh, anything yeah, and- here in a stinking government town, anything can happen in a heartbeat. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, things change and change quickly. Yeah, absolutely. They are there on the ground to see it. Gord, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks for the time. Thanks for all the information and safe travels all season. Oh, thank you, Rob. My pleasure. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. And happy holidays to you as well. That's the great Gord Wilson, Same Senators Radio Analyst. This is the Rink Rat Show. We're back after this. Are you a mouse or a man? As a matter of fact, no. We're neither. We've got a rat. Rob Brinder is the Rink Rat on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to the Rink Rat Show. I'm Rob Brender. The Edmonton Oilers have been one of the good stories in the NHL so far this season. It's an organization that made several significant changes last offseason in an effort to strengthen their foundation and structure so they can turn the corner back to contention. And so far, those changes have been very impactful. General Manager Ken Holland brought with him a wealth of experience and a winning background from Detroit, while head coach Dave Tippett has everyone on the bench playing with accountability in mind and is so far making a lot of the right calls. Seemingly the perfect recipe to turn around a franchise that has missed the playoffs the last couple of years and 12 of the last 13. Oh, and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have both been playing like two of the best players in the world. Their goaltending tandem of Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith have been mostly very solid. And after a lost year in Calgary, James Neal is back to being a real goal-scoring threat. The question is now, can Edmonton ride this wave of success back to the postseason? Joining us to get caught up on everything going on with the Oilers is their fantastic host and anchor for Sportsnet covering the Oilers. That's Gene Principe. Gene, how are you, my friend, and happy holidays. Yeah, Rob, happy holidays to you as well. I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it regarding the Oilers off season and into this season and where they're at right now. Let's go a little deeper into that then, and I want to talk about Dave Tippett and what he has brought behind the bench, because they've obviously made a lot of changes over the last several years with coaching, and seemingly nothing has really worked out. It hasn't quite clicked. There was one year a couple of years ago, they made the postseason under Todd McClellan, and it looked like things were going in the right direction, and then all of a sudden they fell off again. Why have things started to click here a little bit with Tippett? Well, I think... um... Credibility. Uh, Dave has a lot of credibility, and I think accountability. I think, I think he's been able to. You know, you hear the coaches nowadays say, "You know, we need you to do A and B and C." And and in the old days, they said players would just go, "Okay, how do how do we do that?" And nowadays, they say, "How do we do it?" But why do we do it? Why are we doing this? And and I think Dave's been able to explain to the team that. Defense does lead to offense. As much as even myself sometimes I always think, oh, good defense leads to good offense. I think, how does that work? Well, 
it, it has worked, and I and you know I think Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle are great examples. You know, they're up one and two in scoring in the National Hockey League, but they have to be dependable um, when it comes to defense. They don't have to win the Selkie Trophy necessarily, but they have to make sure that they take care of things in their own zone. And, and Dave Tippett from from the moment he was hired to the start of training camp to the first game of the season to right now over the holidays, he's always preached we have to be better defensively. If we're not better defensively, we are not going to make the playoffs. And I think last year was an example. Uh, Leon and Connor had incredible years. Connor had 116 points, finished second in you know scoring to Nikita Kucherov. And Connor had or Leon had 50 goals. Only him and Alexander Ovechkin. Ovechkin had 51. And where did they end up? not in the playoffs. So uh, I, I think it's an understanding that here's what we have to do to win. Here's how you do what we have to do to win. You do that and we'll have success. And I think that's what Dave's been able to preach. And I think for all what these players have and, and the amount of money they make and all that, they do want to win. And if they see the recipe to be victorious, then they're apt to keep using that recipe. And the more they use it, the better off the Oilers are. And you bring up a great point. And obviously on any team you talk about, if the forwards aren't getting back and, and contributing defensively, then the team recipe isn't going to be there for success. But obviously, like you're saying, that they've bought in in that regard this year. And, and maybe more so necessary for this team because defense, let's be honest, has been a concern. The actual defensemen and the core that they've had over the last several years haven't been as strong as probably some other teams, certainly in, in the Pacific Division and out West. Does it feel like it's more necessary for those guys to step up on this team because of that issue? And, and also, where do they feel like they need to go as far as addressing that issue? Is it going to be through free agency? H- how do they bolster this defensive core before the deadline? Well, yeah, the defense always kind of gets problem is when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, everyone looks at the forwards and, and, and pinpoints them, and you talked about James Neal, and they, they kind of, I'm not saying take care of themselves, but they do what they do, and then the defense, you're like, well, there's no Connor McDavid-like defenseman or Leon Dreisaitl-like defenseman, and so they're a band of, of D-men that work well together. There isn't a clear, clear-cut number one, even though Oscar Kloughbaum plays number one uh, type minutes, and, and, and in my mind, he's a number one defenseman. Um, but, you know, the, the Drew Doughty's of the world, the Victor Hedman's, those those guys just aren't around everywhere. So they do it more by uh, committee. I mean, they work together, and if you went around the NHL and, and said to people, okay, name the, the, you know, the six oiler defensemen, or name four oiler defensemen, uh, you know, a lot of places might not get past two, maybe three of, of the six, and, and that's not a knock against them. They just haven't had the profile around the National Hockey League, but they've got some real dependable veterans like Chris Russell and Adam Larson. They have some uh, young players who are developing, Caleb Jones, who's the younger brother of Seth Jones, and um, Ethan Bear. And, you know, they've got a guy like Oscar Kloughbaum. So would they look to get better defensively, you know, as always around the deadline, especially if Ken Holland can do something that he feels he needs to do, he would do it. But um, I think they're working pretty well together. And uh, and then once, you know, you get past them, then you got the goaltenders that you speak of, and that's another key issue for Edmonton to have success. 
We're talking to Gene Principe, host and reporter for Sportsnet, doing Oilers broadcast, does such a tremendous job, and also does work for Hockey Night in Canada broadcast as well. Really a fantastic broadcaster in Western Canada. I, I want to ask you about Ken Holland since I touched on Dave Tippett because Holland was the other big structural piece that was added last offseason. There had to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, a deep sigh of relief from the fans and even people, I think, within the organization at Edmonton that now we have a real leader and a real direction here with Ken Holland. Yeah, I think Ken is, I mean, Ken's 63. He spent 36 years in the uh, Red Wings organization. I think 22 or 23 of them as a GM. Uh, You know, Peter Shirelli was a Stanley Cup winner, you know, as well with with Boston, so it's not like they, you know, they picked their GM off the scrap heap or anything like that. Peter was, uh, you know, well-respected and uh, successful GM as well. I think Ken is just, Ken is Ken. I mean, there's certain people in different businesses, whether they're sports or entertainment or insurance or plumbing or, you know, pick pick your trade, whether, you know, if, if there's someone there that just makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel relaxed, but also challenges you and is still committed to winning. I mean, Ken is that guy. And I, I think with Ken, it started, and then with Dave, it continued. You know, when they were introduced, or Ken introduced Dave, and you saw the two of them kind of sitting at uh, at the press conference discussing the future of the Oilers. I think Oilers fans felt, as you said, a sigh of relief. Now, again, Peter Shirelli had success. Todd McClellan is a great coach. I mean, so they, they've they've had this before, um, maybe not to the extent historically of a Dave Tippett and, and Ken because of their ages. Dave is 57, former coach of the year, uh, brought his team to, you know, a conference final. So, yeah, that was, you know, piece one and piece two to, to get things going, to make people feel like, okay, we got two guys in place here, particularly with Ken, who have a plan, and they know how to put that plan into effect so for sure everyone felt a lot better this offseason when when ken was hired knowing that he's got a deep history in the game he's also one of the most likable accessible friendly uh, people in hockey you're ever going to meet i mean he's just an incredible man um so yeah long answer yes it, it was a huge sigh of relief and uh, people are liking what they see from ken holland and his team so far this season and Gene, when, when Ken came in, he adopted a bit of a cap mess. You've got two players making a ton of money, and they deserve it. They're two of the best players, if not the two best right now in the NHL. But with that comes trying to figure out how to build a roster around them when you don't have a lot of room to move. And according to all the stuff that I've read over the last couple of years, the prospect base wasn't quite as deep as I'm sure they would have liked. So it's an odd spot that I think Ken is in. How do you think he winds up maneuvering this whole thing? Is there anything he can do from the outside to bring more talent in? Or is this going to have to be the group that they have going forward and, and win with it or don't win with it, but there's nothing else he can do for a few years? Yeah, I think that was Ken's sort of uh, mantra when he was hired, is that you know there are limitations. I mean, he made a big offseason deal trading Milan Lucic for James Neal, um, and that had some little bit of salary cap permutations, but it was more about... Uh, making a change to get a proven goal scorer like James Neal, and Calgary wanted a proven leader like Lucic, so uh, I think both teams uh, went off and did what they felt they needed to do for their hockey clubs. He is limited. I mean, there's only so much you can do when you're up against it regarding the cap, but Ken is 
Ken is pretty uh, pretty suave and shifty and uh, and knows how to work around those situations because he's been doing it for a long time. It's not the old Red Wing days where they would spend seventy million bucks. I remember and. And, you know, Oilers and teams like that would spend half, 30 or 35 million. So he understands that there are cap issues and restraints. But uh, he's he's a smart guy, and he understands sometimes signing some quote unquote lesser players for under a million or around a million. I mean, you know, 21 million has gone to Connor and Leon, but yet when you look at it, you think that's that's actually that's a lot. But considering their results, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, there, there's other teams that spend either that amount or close to it and don't necessarily have the same individual results. But it's then back to the the team results. But, he, you know, he got Mike Smith as a backup goalie on a little bit of a lesser contract. So if you add up the two goalies, they're making about $7 million a year. Well, there's goalies, and Edmonton recently played one, Carey Price, who makes $10 million. So and. He's worth it. Like that's he earned that. It's not so you you got to kind of work within the system. And I think Ken understands a what the system is and b how to work within it. Uh, he's got tons of experience, and he you know he'll have a few uh, things in his back pocket, especially when the trade deadline arrives, and depending on where the Oilers are uh, to make any necessary moves. But he is trying to be patient. Ken's got a five-year deal. I know it's harder for Oilers fans to be patient because they've been you know waiting for playoffs and except for the one season haven't had it uh, enough. Um, so we'll see where the, the sort of middle ground uh, lies between Ken, the club, and, and, you know, the fan base who want to get back into the postseason badly. You brought up goaltending. I want to go there next really quick because Miko Koskinen and Smith, as we mentioned, have both been pretty good. They moved on from Cam Talbot in the offseason. There had to be a little bit of concern or at least some skepticism from the fans, especially with Koskinen as the number one going forward. They didn't see a lot from him last year when he came over from Russia, but he's been pretty good this year. And and Smith, the same, uh, coming up from Calgary, has also been very good. Uh, What do they feel about the goaltending now? Um, I think they feel pretty good about it. I I think with Koskinen, he and Talbot, Cam Talbot, who now is in Calgary, um, they, you know, Miko ended up probably playing maybe more than he was, you know, ready to to play. And also, I think the games start to feel even longer when the team's not succeeding. But this year, for the most part, to to this point, heading into, you know, this Christmas break, um, they've been alternating. Miko's played a little bit more as of late, uh, but I, I think they like where they are. And uh, Koskinen had been with the Islanders and kind of brought up with them and then went back home and went to Russia and then decided at 31, 30, he said, you know, I want to give it a go. I want to give it one last chance. And so he, he came over, and I, I, I like the Oilers' goaltending situation, to be honest with you, because I think the days of the, the Marty Brodeur playing 73 or 75 games. There's only a few goalies around the league that do that anymore. Uh, and again, if you don't have one of those goalies, then you try and look for maybe a 50-30 split or 45-35 or something along those lines. And I think that's what the Oilers have, and I think that's what they like. Not worried that if their number one goalie by a long shot isn't having a good run, then they're kind of in trouble where now if their number one goalie or their number one A is struggling, they can go back to the other guy, and if he needs to carry them for a bit, he's got that potential. Where in a other scenario, and they don't have a clear-cut number one who can play those 60, 70 games, and they've got kind of a mix of two guys, 
uh, that they like, and that's worked to this point in the season. Yeah, and that seems to be the way that the NHL is going now. A lot of the uh, two-goalie, almost even split. We saw it in Carolina last year, and it's spread like wildfire throughout the league. Just one more for you, Gene, because I know you got to run. We're talking to Gene Principe, giving us some great information on the Oilers, host and reporter for Sportsnet. Uh, I want to ask you about where Connor McDavid is in the fandom, the lore of, of the fandom in Edmonton. We, you've seen Gretzky come through. You've seen Messier come through. You had all those superstars in the 80s. We, we know how good, everybody knows how great Connor McDavid is. He's the best player in the world, and I think it's by a long shot, personally. Where does he fit among that group? Well, he's getting there. I mean, it was a different time and a different era. Like, you know, Connor, I just did the math, and he, he's basically on pace for, like, uh, you know, right around 130 points, which that's a lot of points, but, you know, it doesn't compare to Wayne's 215. But the games also back then were 8-6 and 7-5 and, you know, 9-8. And so he's an incredible player. Uh, I think one thing that people may not realize or know about him um, if you don't get to know him or get to cover him like I do, which is, you know, very enjoyable, very intense, very competitive, and very much wants to win. Uh, he, I don't know if I've ever seen a player who doesn't want to talk about himself, and it's always awkward for, for me because, I, you know, I get a chance to interview him a lot, and the reason you're interviewing him is because he is succeeding, because he has a hat trick, or he's got four points, or he's got five points, and so he always defers, defers, defers. He always feels better talking about his line mate, his teammate, his team, than he does about himself, but, it, you know, he's extraordinary talent, and in this day and age, I mean, the numbers that he's putting up and will likely put up, knock on wood, for many years to come uh, are, you know, Gretzky and, and Messier-like. Uh, he may never reach, you know, 894 goals or you know, a couple thousand points. That's, that might be tough to do in, in this era, but uh, things have opened up over the past couple of years. I remember not that long ago the leading, uh, you know, point-getter uh, when it was John Tavares and Jamie Benn was like 87 or 89 points, and they won the scoring title. And now he had 116 last year and didn't win it. So, uh, we're we're finding kind of a middle ground between the 80s, where it was offense crazy, to maybe, you know, eight to ten years ago, where it was all about defense. We're we're sort of in the middle there, and I like that. And I, I think Connor, well, he's going to have an incredible career. He already has. It, it'll just be defined by winning. Like those players, they were defined by winning. Their their individual numbers don't look nearly as good as as if you don't have some Stanley Cups to add at the end of it, and that's what Connor wants. Yeah, I'm not sure that he does. Many, many of them for Gretzky and Messier in that group. By the way, real quick, is he the most powerful skater you've ever seen? He's definitely yeah. up there on my list. Yeah, you know what? I, I, you know, I've watched lots of hockey and played it and seen guys in person. I've never seen anyone skate like him. It's like he's above the ice. He just he, he floats and he just... I don't even know how to describe it fully, but I've never seen anything like it. And there are some, you know, powerful, strong. Mark Messi was an incredible skater. Um, you know, I don't know if he's number one all time in power, but just the combination of quick and fast and speed and power and strength, maneuvering. You know, whatever your checklist would be for skating, I think Connor would have, you know, a big check mark beside all of it. And then when you add it all up, he's I don't know. I know I've never seen anything like it. I guess the best way to put it, Rob, I'm not sure I'm ever going to see anything like it, uh, you know, moving forward uh, as Connor continues his career and so many players come up and play in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it is a lot of fun to watch. Gene, thank you for the time. Really do appreciate it. And happy holidays to you. Safe travel everywhere you go the rest of the season, okay? 
Same to you, Rob. Take care. That's the great Gene Principe, host and reporter for Sportsnet covering the Oilers. This is the Ringrat Show. We'll see you next week.